We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 209. Our guest today is making her second appearance on the Equestrian Podcast. She was first on an episode 133, where she hypnotized me on the episode. It was absolutely incredible. Such an amazing experience. I absolutely loved it. And I knew I wanted her back on because there was so much more that we needed to cover. Well, since then, We've gotten to know each other even more, and she also recently came to my most recent equestrian workshop, which is in Destin, Florida, just a few weeks ago, and so we were able to hang out in person, and we've been working together over the past year, and I absolutely love what she does. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about how she manages to teach riders how to feel, which is, I feel like revolutionary and incredible. So without further ado, please welcome my guest today, Dr. Sam Fielding. Hello. Thank you so much for coming on again. I am so happy to be here. Oh man, I feel like to this day, you know, over 200 episodes now, um, your first episode where you hypnotized me was probably one of my favorite episodes I've ever recorded. I love it. I I, that was, it feels like so long ago, but it wasn't really, I know that was, that was fun. A little over a year ago. Has it really been that long? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Seems about right. (laughs) Yep. Yep. It's so crazy. Yeah. Cause it was before my dad passed away. And so, yeah, which, yeah, that's so crazy. Um, it's great to have you back on again. I knew we needed to continue the conversation and since then, we've gotten to know each other so much more. Um, yes. So let's talk. For those who didn't listen to your original episode, give me a little rundown of who you are, how you first kind of got into the equestrian world, and the, the kind of stuff you're doing now. Yes. So if they haven't listened, they definitely need to go listen because totally. it was a super interesting session. Um, so I... I have really always been a horse lover. So I did not come from a horsey family, but I grew up in Maryland, which now I know was such an amazing place to grow up riding. And I just, I was one of those kids that always wanted to ride. I just knew I would love sitting on the back of a horse long before I even saw a horse in person. And I just, you know, I just kept asking to ride and he kept asking to have a horse and do all the things. And it was just something that never went away that I kept working for. And I, I had the good fortune to ride at, um, you know, I started the traditional way, like at a riding program and I took lessons and then I wanted more lessons. And so then I had to tack up all the horses and do stalls. I did anything I could do to get lessons. And then I realized I really wanted to do more, <laughs> And so I started working up in Northern Baltimore County in Greenspring, the Greenspring Valley. There's just a ton of professionals, mostly in the racing industry. So I, I started working for some steeplechase and timber trainers there. And really that's kind of where I got, I would say the, the bulk of my riding experience. I just got to ride a bunch of horses, do a a lot of the work. And it was just a, a really good foundation for getting comfortable with horses, not, you know, not specifically just with showing or anything like that. And I did that too. (laughs) I did the hunter jumpers. Maryland has a good um, event community. So I got to do some three-day eventing and jumpers. So I did a little bit of all of it really growing up. So as you were kind of getting into what you were doing within the equestrian community, how did that kind of play out with you and your life as you started working towards your professional career? Well, my professional career was, is kind of random really, because after I thought I wanted to be a vet, I I went to university of Pennsylvania, really thinking I was going to be a large animal vet. 
But that changed really quickly once I got to Philadelphia and my life took a total detour. And so horses kind of were not at the front of my life for a large part of my life when I was out West living in Utah. I rode, I even started a couple horses out there, but it wasn't the same. And it was just so obvious that you live in Park City, Utah, you have to ski. (laughs) So my skiing kind of took over my life. And I really, you know, there really wasn't a professional plan at that point because I was just in love with skiing. Um, And it was well into my ski life that I realized, you know, I, I really know I have to do something with my mind, my education. And I decided coming from a family of physicians that I would go back to school and go to medical school. And I, I went and I'm, you know, I got my doctorate in acupuncture and practiced for a while, but my, my journey back to horses was totally unexpected, unplanned. When I had my first kid, I had really bad postpartum depression and it was easily the the most difficult part of my adult life, probably my whole life, honestly, at that, it, it was just a really, really dark, painful time. And I had some, you know, very, there's, I mean, it literally got to the point where I was feeling suicidal and I thought that I don't have any life to live anymore. I thought that my best days were behind me. I mean, it's even, it's hard to imagine now, but Mm. I really got to the point where I kind of remember one day thinking, you know, it can't be like this anymore. I have, I have a kid. I have a husband who loves me. I have to figure out how to dig myself out of this hole that I'm in kind of mentally and emotionally. And I said, well, if I can't ski the way I skied in Utah, out West and New Zealand, California, then I, I have to ride. And I, I just kind of, I, I knew it was something that would actually help me break out of that pattern that I was really stuck in. And it literally was the only thing that got me out of the house. And it was such a profound transformation. I mean, Bethany, you can't even understand like, you know, the you that you know now is so different than that person, Mm -hmm. but it was just like, there was a part of me that was just dying to come back out. And the horses really, I can distinctly remember getting there, struggling, driving, just tears, trying to drive to the barn to ride in the evening after my baby was asleep like rushing out there to go and try and ride and come back before I had to feed her all night. And Mm -hmm. I'd get there and it was like, I just, you know, everything about it, I would get into the stall to groom the horse, just the smell of the horses, just being able to feel them, be near them. I felt like there was a part of me that could come back. And it, it wasn't even a really conscious decision at that point, like, oh, horses have to be part of my work. It really took me much longer to come to the realization that, that my healing work that I do as an acupuncturist has to be integrated with that part of my life. And it kind of morphed from, I've always had the idea that I wanted to help my patients heal on a really deep level. I don't want to be a band-aid. I don't want to just help them feel a little bit better and then come back to me in a week. I really wanted to help them heal. And I realized that so much of what was happening was a function of what they were thinking, what do they believe in the way they were living their lives. And so I wanted to be able to help them kind of change their thinking, change their beliefs and their patterns, which led me to the hypnosis work. And then I, as life will do, I was led a totally different way. And I, I realized, you know, the horse part had kind of started to take off and I was really loving it. And I knew that there was like my own personal aspiration to, to produce a horse to the highest level that I could was actually starting to be like, Ooh, wait, maybe this thing is still a possibility. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I'd like to create a practice where I can support my riding. 
And I remember reaching out to a mentor at that point, And he was, he literally was like, no, <laughs> that's not how it's going to happen. Really? And I was a little bit like, what do you mean? No, like, let, just explain to me how I can get this practice going to the point where, you know, then I can go do my work thing and then I'll have my time to ride and support myself. And he, he was so clear at that point. I love him. He's amazing that it was going to be one, one thing. <laughs> and it's just, it's been this really cool organic process of creating this very unique thing. I mean, I, we've talked about this and people ask her like, are you a sports psychologist? Like, what do you do? And it, it's not that at all. Even when I try and talk to people who are like, well, you know, we've had a sports psychologist that we spoke to recently. And I'm, I'm like, I promise this is not like that. This is mm -hmm. completely different. It's so much more about how the horse can be this amazing learning area for people to do this really important work for themselves to heal, to grow, to, to be the best version of themselves. And the happy byproduct is you learn how to ride really well. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. How did yeah. you feel like you went, like what were some of the practical steps that helped you get from that you know, the postpartum depression state to where you are today. Obviously there's lots of steps in between that, but what were some things that you did to get your mental health and your mindset um, to the place that it is now? Um, well, in the beginning, it really, and this is kind of foundational and how I built the work I do with my clients now. Um, it's, it does start in the body for me. Um, at that point, I remember distinctly thinking like, this is what your doctorate is in. Like it, it actually shaped my doctorate because it was so effective for me. Um, but I realized that I had tools to help my body to kind of quiet down some of the noise, the, just the kind of frantic energy that I was living in with acupuncture so I literally treated myself with acupuncture for five days straight. And it was like, you can just, you're going to needle yourself. You're going to lay still for 25 minutes. Like that's the minimum I had to stay still. And I, I remember fighting it in the beginning. And at the last little bit, maybe five minutes to go, I remember thinking, oh my God, I, it's, it's actually calmed down. I can feel myself relaxing wow. finally. And I said, okay, it, whatever it takes, you have to do this for the next five days. So they, the physical piece was huge. Um, the riding was really critical because it was something that showed me literally that I could change that pattern. I could go and be somewhere and change my state. Um, but then to actually sustain it, it took a lot of actually looking at what was working for me, what wasn't working for me, but there was a lot of struggle that I went through trying to recognize that some of these things were actually necessary. Like I was really looking at it from a very different lens where the challenges and the struggles I felt like were dysfunction, like a sign of weakness or me failing. And I was resisting it and getting more and more frustrated every time it would come back because I had the expectation that it should be gone. <laughs> and when I started to look at what was happening and realizing that I had to have a much greater sense of awareness about what I was feeling in my body. And I started to really study the mind. I really started to study what goes on with patterns. What is it that we're experiencing? And I, I just, really studied it and analyzed it and realized that there's a way to actually change these patterns that feel like they're impossible to manage. They feel like we aren't in control of them, but that's actually not the truth. So, but essentially the short <laughs> answer to a long response is that it, it started in the physical body for me which is why I feel like the work I do helps people ride so well is because 
when you're in a mental state that's not conducive to living the way you want, what most people do is create a very strong disconnection from their physical body because they're doing everything they can to escape this uncomfortable feeling. And when you're that disconnected from your body, you can't feel, (laughs) you can't perceive. And that's exactly what's kind of throwing people off when they're riding, because for so many people that come to riding, there's a, there's an element that's scary. And if they don't know how to work with that response to kind of disconnect from your body is always, always activated. So it's a, it's a matter of learning how to heal. Why do you have that response in the first place? For a lot of people that you work with, do they come to you typically with a horse or a riding related problem, uh, like a roadblock maybe that they're facing in their riding? Or um, is I, I mean, I feel like I'm kind of answering the question with, with my experience with working with you is that it, and like you were saying, it's so much more, it becomes so much more than just the riding. It's, it affects and helps every aspect of your life because you just become a more in tune human with yourself and and how you handle and, you know, like work with your relationships and, and, and again, with riding too, I feel like it extends in, in all the different avenues of your life. But when you typically start with someone new, is that the, you know, like initial reason why they start working with you? I would say it's a good mix, but more, I say more people come with a specific riding issue, whether it's something that's completely a very specific thing, like I'm, I'm scared to jump or a certain thing when I go to jump my horse over bigger jumps or riding them out in the field. I've had some people have fear from past experiences where they, they struggle to, you know, get on their horse or, even anticipating that before they get to the barn, they're getting nervous before they even tack up. Um, so there are people that have very, very specific riding related issues that they want to resolve, but there's also a good number of people that come with a, a little bit of an awareness that something is going on that's affecting their riding that they just can't put their finger on. And they know that they are somehow getting in the way of their progress. And there's a piece that they understand that it's not just in their writing, but it's so vague and they can't articulate what it is. And it just remains this kind of roadblock. They just feel stuck. I think feeling stuck is one of the things I hear the most. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, And I think with our initial session, which was the first episode we did together, um, episode 133, if anyone hasn't listened to it, like pause this one and go <laughs> listen to this one. Um, episode 133 with w- was your very first episode with me. And that's where we really kind of talked through a lot of things. And I remember for me, my um, kind of initial time with you, I was like, I remember being like, oh, you know, like, life's pretty good. Like I like my jobs. I feel like I am secure in my riding. I feel like, you know, have some family stuff, but like life's, you know, life's pretty good. And that was kind of my initial, uh, you know, verbiage about everything going into it. And it's so funny. Like I I'm, you know, naturally a very emotional person. Like it does not take a lot to make me cry, but for some (laughs) reason I remember you having a disclaimer before we started where you're like, okay, like make sure you have a lot of, have some tissues on hand. And I'm like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Like I'm sure for, yeah. And also for anyone who hadn't listened, I had never been hypnotized before. I was like, I didn't even know like what it was going to, what was going to like happen. And I literally, like I was like wrecked in the best way possible I feel like (laughs) and wrecked I don't not meaning to like intimidate the situation it was so cool and something that I love about working with you is that um I've said this to you multiple times before about me not being very woo woo and I feel like you're just like 
just so normal and calm and consistent. And I never felt weird. I never felt uncomfortable. And so I feel like that was like such a huge part of my experience um, with you is that I felt like very comfortable with you right off the bat. Um, At that time, not knowing you very well, that I could just share all of these things. And it didn't feel like it was, you know, something that was totally crazy. But in reality, I remember, you know, once I was, um, you know, kind of at the end of our session, we were kind of talking about it. I I remember telling you, I'm like, man, I feel like I have such a huge weight lifted off of my shoulders. It was just the coolest feeling um, that I felt like coming into it. I had literally like no, what I thought care in the world. And then coming out of it, you know, I realized how much I tend to like bury all of my feelings and like choose not to deal with them. And that's why I think my brain has allowed me to have a terrible memory (laughs) because I just choose (laughs) to like block stuff out. And um, I think just going through that with you really helped and um, has helped my relationships. It's helped you know, my need for control and my need for um, people to like me and people to respect me and feel value in that. And so I feel like that's been super helpful. It also was, I feel like everything happens at, uh, you know, like a specific time for a reason. And I think that that kind that work really helped prepare me for losing my dad and just, you know, kind of navigating that with you know, how I was handling it and how I was um, trying to be really intentional about how I was grieving and that I was letting myself grieve and not, you know, do what I have been doing in the past with past trauma, um, burying it and choosing not to deal with it. And so I, I just feel like it's done so much for my, my, you know, like everything else in life, even though, you know, we, we talk about like, finding confidence in riding and insecurities and and things, um, especially me being a professional and kind of the potential insecurities that can come with that. And so, I don't know, I just feel like it's so cool. And something that I always tell people is like how priceless the stuff that the things that you do and, and work through are, because it's not just how can I ride better? Or how can I see a distance or how, you know, how can I do X, Y, and Z with my riding? It, it really is, you know, it really just kind of like pulls into every different avenue. Yeah. I love that. It's so, it's so true because the experience of going through this process is really something that can benefit everyone, regardless of where you are. Cause I would say overall, I share a very, like right away we hit it off. And I think it's because we have a similar way of approaching our lives, how we carry ourselves, who we are um, as we kind of navigate the world. And yet it, there are still things that we can work on to kind of free ourselves. Like you said, like the weight lifted off of your shoulders. That's one of the most common things people say to me when they come out of a session. Yes. And it's true because I feel like this is something that we are literally part of the reason I feel that we are drawn to horses is so we can learn some of these lessons. They are here to help us in a way that many of us can't do this work with just another person. And I think that it's so important for you to point out the fact that you, you know, there wasn't anything that you came into the, to the session in mind, like, Oh, this thing is not working. Let's Mm -hmm. fix this that can totally be there. But I think what's more important is recognizing that there is some level of burying that everyone does. There's always something regardless of how big it seems to somebody else that is important to us as individuals that when we are younger, when we're kids or whenever that experience happens that we have to kind of shove that down to keep going and it works And you'll go really far and be able to accomplish a lot. But when I see people and I look at them and I'm like, yeah, but wouldn't you want to do more? Like, don't you want to have all of that energy back to do something even bigger, better? I mean, 
this is literally when you start to learn this work, you realize that your dream is actually meant for you to pursue. It's not mm-hmm. something that's supposed to be held in your mind like, oh, wouldn't that be a nice thing? This is about reconnecting to where, what is that fire in you? Where does that come from? And why are you not actually moving towards it? And when you start to heal yourself on a really deep level and learn a lot of the tools that it takes in order to put things into action so that you can start moving in that direction, it's literally life transforming. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you start to go, you go ride and you're like, find a distance. This is like Mm -hmm. the easiest thing ever (laughs) because you realize that it's just, it's, it is a big deal because of what it provides to you. But then it takes so much of the pressure out of like, oh, I have to achieve this thing. When you feel like I, I, I can't do any wrong. I can't mess up because I, I really love who I am and where I'm going. <laughs> right. Definitely. And I think that with your work, I think what makes it so unique is it's not necessarily, um, you know, like you were saying, you and I, you know, think, can think through some things like similarly, we also like, we also have totally different backgrounds. Like maybe we have, you know, different morals or or different things that we believe in or want to do with our lives. But I feel like the way that you teach and the way that you do your work, it's not like you have this set of ideas that you are encouraging others to also adapt or I I guess take on themselves. Mm. You're what I have found is that when you have been working with me, I'm a, what you do is kind of you, you help people find perspective and which is, you know, different for everyone and, you know, standards and what's important to in, in each individual's life that I feel like is such a amazing gift that you have that you're able to keep it. Does that make sense? Like you can keep it general and not force any ideas on your clients while allowing them to really dig deep and find their own ideals and their own goals and their own perspective in their life. Totally. Because that's the way it has to be. Yeah. None of what I do is prescriptive. It's, it's, I feel like I'm tapping into, and this is what I, I like to unlock for all my clients is what is your unique gift? My unique gift is being able to see the situation without the lens of the personal experience and you know, highlight for somebody where that limiting kind of um, distortion might have come from. And so that they can actually take a situation objectively and say, oh, wait a minute, my whole life, I've been thinking that that story meant this, but it doesn't actually. It's, It's all possible because when somebody has the ability to experience things for themselves, without these filters and lenses that we kind of create from, you know, painful experiences that are, that are happening, you know, we distort the picture so that we can survive. But if you give someone the ability to take that filter out and allow them to go through life and experience things, and they, they start to actually feel and understand the truth of the situation, then I don't have to convince them of anything because that's the way it is. That's Mm -hmm. the truth. I think that that's part of the thing that's beautiful about riding is that you can go and be convinced that something is one way and your horse will show you like, that's not true. (laughs) I mean, so for example, I, I definitely, there was one point where I had two thoroughbreds and the one was, she was a pretty sweet mare. She, she was still, you know, they're both off the track thoroughbreds. One had a much more difficult experience. Um, he was like pretty abused, really, really shut down. And when he kind of started to come back out of his shell, he was pretty aggressive, like 
a little bit to the point where I was like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm not usually intimidated by horses. This guy's mm. intimidating. And the mare was not like that. She was pretty, you know, normal off the track thoroughbred. And there was one day I went to the barn and I distinctly remember just being in a foul mood. And I went into his stall, was working with him. And I, it was very easy for me to chalk it up and be like, oh, it's just him being him. And then I went to work with the mayor and she literally responded to me exactly the way he did. Mm. I mean, the response was almost a mirror. And I was a little bit like, oh, now wait a minute. Like that's (laughs) a little bit freaky because she has never responded like that. And it was literally like the same face, the same actions, the same energy. And it was really painfully clear to me, like you're bringing this. This Mm. is not them. (laughs) Wow. So it's, it's good to work with multiple horses because <laughs> if you have a whole barn full of angry horses, it's probably not What's all the them. common denominator. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> little break because I am so excited to talk about our sponsor today, Jiv Athletics. Have you heard of them? They provide women the comfort and confidence they deserve within everyday athletic wear, which all starts with what's underneath. Jiv Athletics is an athletic undergarment company that specializes in performance underwear for women. Not only does Jiv Athletics offer ultra premium quality, their undergarments are breathable, wickable, tagless, roll-free, and camel toe proof. Inspired to end constant underwear tugging during a workout or a ride, Jiv Athletics creates undergarment pieces to fit to make wearing yoga pants or breeches all the more comfortable. Using breathable luxe fabrics, this woman-owned brand understands the importance of eliminating unsightly silhouettes with a patent-pending 3D mold spacer that blurs the lines between tech and fashion. I just recently got my first pair of Jiv Athletics underwear and it is the most incredible pair of underwear that I have ever owned. I give all my thoughts and some more information about Jiv Athletics over on my lifestyle page, my equestrian style, but if you want to check out more information and the products that they have, head over to their website at jivathletics.com. That's J-I-V-A-T-H. L-E-T-I-C-S dot com. Thank you so much, Jiv Athletics. You are amazing, and I cannot wait to see you more and more in the horse community. All right, let's head back to the episode. Oh, man. Well, as we have gotten to know each other more, and we are able to spend some time together in person at the last equestrian workshop a couple weeks back. um, Yes. I heard you say something that I think, I think you said it in front of the group and everyone kind of had a a freak out moment is when you were like, you know, just kind of casually talking a little bit about what you do. um, And you were talking about something and you're like, well, you know, like, you know, talking about how it can affect their whole lives, but like specific riding and you're like, well, and I'm able to teach feel and blah, blah, blah. And we're like, wait, 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 hold on. What did you say? Like you can teach feel like we can teach people how to feel what they need to feel while they're riding. Like how, because I think so many people have maybe tried or, you know, maybe trainers have tried to teach their students. And I feel like that is such a rare skill to be able to verbalize how someone can develop feel while they're riding. So I thought it would be interesting to talk a little bit about that today to just like walk me through. I want to, I want to hear, I want to hear the gist of what you do with the people that you work with, where you are teaching feel. Yeah. So uh, it's so funny when you say that, because to me, I'm like, it's so obvious that it uh-huh. can be taught. Um, You're just way too genius for your own good. That I feel like so <laughs> many times you need, we need to talk to like normal people like us more often where we're like, Sam, that's, that's amazing. You need to talk about this more, but yes, go on. Well, for, for one thing, I know for sure, because when I started to ride, I didn't ride with feel. I distinctly remember the point where it switched and people were like, oh, she can ride with feel. I'm like, Mm. I'm the same person and I've been doing the same thing. I'm probably more refined now. 
But having gone through it, I know what the difference is in terms of how I was riding. And a lot of that comes down to what I was saying before with that ability to feel. So when people have any kind of, so we'll back it up. So because riding inherently is intimidating for a lot of people, you've got to understand what gets activated in the brain is a very instinctive response. It's it's automatic. It's our survival. It's the most automatic response that we have that's activated. And so when that fear response is triggered, and it can be a very small turning on of that system, your subconscious mind is now working. So whatever filter you've put on that's related to fear, lack of safety, not good enough, which is, I promise everyone has on some level, Mm -hmm. now that filter is working. But the reality is that 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 situation tends to be uncomfortable for people. So as a result, what do we do when we're uncomfortable? We numb it. We block it out. We distract it. We try to ignore it. And that's the worst thing you can do when you're riding because you have to actually feel every little thing. So the first thing, you know, and so this is why I always think about well, you know, what are the, you can hear this amazing information and get all this great training from people. It's not a lack of information, but can you actually apply it? And if someone can't apply it, it's because they can't feel it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And the way to be able to feel again is to heal that, that traumatic response in your body. And then when you're actually in a place where you can trust, you can actually get on the horse knowing that you are safe, that you're not in danger, that you don't have to guard yourself, then you can actually really feel everything that's going on. And it's interesting because it's something you realize that you didn't have. You don't know you don't have it when you're there. hmm Once you remove a layer, you, Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, once you remove a layer of that blocking of your energy, kind of the shutdown response, so you're not getting feedback from your physical body, then you realize like, Oh my God, I, I never actually was feeling what my seat was doing. Yeah. I couldn't discern if I was sitting heavier on one side or the other. But you don't know it until you start changing it. And then you realize like, oh my God, that wasn't there before. That's so true. For someone that you might work with who I feel like a common, you know, struggle I hear is that riders may be nervous to jump in front of other people or nervous about, um, just completely like either like not seeing a distance or chipping in front of people, that kind of whole dynamic. Talk me through a little bit about how you would kind of walk someone through working through that in terms of kind of what you were just talking about with being able to kind of reestablish that rider's feel. Well, the first thing is teaching that person to have the awareness of where is your focus? Because a lot of people don't actually recognize when their focus is on the wrong thing until it's far too late. Sure. Having the awareness to be able to distinguish the kind of intangible, the, the invisible parts, the inner workings of our mind as it's happening is a skill that people need to learn and it's it's stuff that i teach my clients in the very early stages because the awareness of where your energy is is going to dictate everything and largely like where you're focused where you're you know the, the this thing that you always used to say in acupuncture school and it drove me crazy in the beginning but i see it now <laughs> they would always say where your intention goes is where the energy flows mm. And it's true, which in layman speak, it's basically like whatever you're focusing on is where your energy is. 
And when you start to talk in the language of energy, there's all kinds of cool things that you can learn about how you can actually utilize it. But when somebody is focusing, like, let's say you go into the ring and you're riding and you're focusing on the other, like the outside pieces, you're never going to ride. You are guaranteed to one, get what you're thinking. Mm -hmm. So you're thinking I'm going to chip in front of all these people. I'm going to be embarrassed. That's what you're going to get. But it's not as simple as that. Like you can't, if you, if you tell someone like, well, well, you can't focus on the thing you don't want. You focus on the thing you do want. You actually have to teach the person how to shift their focus Mm -hmm. and how to discern, like, is your focus in the right place? Because they can't tell. Um, So knowing how to actually keep your focus on the thing that you want it on is a skill that I teach. Um, And there's some people that some people that are competitive just naturally know where to focus. They know how to hone in on what they want to do. And, but even there'll be times where they'll lose their focus. Sure. And I see it happen all the time where people are riding, they're going around they're doing a course they're doing well. And then all of a sudden you're like, where did they go? Like what's happening now? (laughs) They're not here. Right. right. You can see that they've literally like, now they're thinking about something else because they're not riding anymore. But in that moment, they don't really even realize that they've now like actually stopped riding. I know you're a hunter and I, I say this with the most love ever because I was a hunter <laughs> rider, to start. <laughs> but hunter riders are like, I think there's so many amateur hunter riders that think that you are supposed to check out <laughs> uh-huh. because the professionals look like they're checking out the whole time, but that's why they're good. They're actually right. not doing that. Right. So it's, it's deceptive. Like we actually we're so visual that we think like, oh, if I write, uh, it was so funny because in your post talking about hip angle, when you said the professional mm-hmm. slouch, I was like, oh, that's such a good term for that. <laughs> I'm glad you got what, what I was saying, but I'm like, oh my God, because happens. I totally have to fix that for myself because I was like, oh, all the professionals do that. Like maybe that's how you be soft. I literally had my, right. consul- I convinced myself and now I have to untrain that, but it's also, they give the look of actually just being a passenger, but they're not, they're mm-hmm. so not passengers. So the good hunter riders are masters of what they do, but to the average observer, we get ourselves into trouble thinking, well, I will make myself look like that person. And then that will happen. Right. But that's kind of the crux of everything I teach. If you're living your world, thinking that the outside what you see, what other people are doing, what other people are thinking, what other people have is what you need. It's always backwards because the only way to create this fulfilling life, to do the things you want to do, do them well, is inside out. Mm -hmm. You have to be focused on the inside of you and everything that comes on the outside is a reflection of the work that you're doing inside. Yep. Definitely. I know when I took a break from riding during college and then started back up again, essentially as a professional. And of course, you know, once you are a professional, you are, you just have to know everything there is to know about everything. (laughs) Or so I thought. And so um, after taking a long break, you know, your mind, it's like getting back on a bike. But your body is like, wait, what? Like just the delay was so crazy. And I remember, you know, working for this amazing facility in California and having the need, like I always just like tried to go to a ring where no one else was. And like, I'm like, I need to rip the bandaid off somehow. Like I need to like (laughs) get by myself and jump jumps without being like humiliated. And I just remember going through that process of, um, you know, I pick up the canner, go around the end of the ring. Once I was, you know, like, okay, I just, I'm going to think about my pace and my straightness. And then I get straight to the jump and it's like, oh my gosh, am I going to chip? I don't see anything. Like, should I go? Should I like, and then, you know, you just all of a sudden get flooded with all of these fears. And I, I think it really took me taking a step back and realizing, okay, some things that I am really confident about, like 
uh, you know, I was riding, you know, flatting like 11 horses a day when I was in California. And I'm like, I can get on pretty much anything and get it from, you know, going, going on its forehand to being really balanced and using its hind end. I can flat a horse very well. I'm very confident. Anyone can watch me and I'm good. And I can even show off a little bit, like, see, like, this is how much I know. And that I felt great about that. And I'm like, what is so different that when I went and then when my boss has me go jump some jumps that I'm all of a sudden like, oh my gosh, Bethany, don't mess up. Come on. You can do this. You can do this. Oh my gosh. I don't see a distance. And where, like, where is that disconnect? Why is that so different? And I think a lot of it was like, obviously like our sport is a, a lot of repetition and a lot of, you know, doing the same thing over and over and over again. And you, you look at all the top professionals and all the top, even just like young riders, a lot of them are, I mean, obviously they have natural skill, they have talent, they have great animals that they work with, but I mean, a lot of the success is found in just the, the, the sheer fact that they've done, they've gone and done these trips thousands of times. Like they've jumped these eight jumps or they've jumped at courses like this, you know, week in, week out for years. And, um, you know, so I think just giving myself a little bit of, you know, like credit, like, okay, Bethany, you're like going in and doing this after showing, you know, a few times a year during your childhood and then taking four years off. So like giving myself a little grace that, you know, you're not going to, you're, you're not going to find a jump perfectly every time. And you know what, that like, that's okay. Life goes on. And I think kind of giving myself that grace really was helpful. And then like physically I found myself, okay, how can I get from my, my feelings towards flatting any animal and that confidence? How can I get some of that feeling over towards jumping a course or jumping some jumps. And I think a lot of it was just like breaking it down. I have an episode about like how I felt like I got my confidence back as a rider. And a lot mm-hmm. of it was just like breaking it down from like, I'm like, I'm, I just made myself jump a bunch of poles on the ground for like weeks until I felt like I was, you know, doing it to the point where, Oh, like, I feel good about this. Like the, I kind of, this is kind of like how I feel about flatting. And then I, you know, I, you know, tip over the Cavaletti and have them be, you know, 18 inches and work my way up from there. And I feel like that was really helpful to just kind of break it down. And the beauty of our sport is, I mean, for, for a lot of us, we don't need to be in a rush. Like this is a lifelong yeah. sport for a lot of us. And a lot, um, so many of us are fortunate to have the opportunities to be able to do this for a long period of time. And so I think that was um, like just kind of the the practical steps of kind of having more of that confidence just came from like breaking it down and then kind of putting into perspective that I don't have to always have it all together, even though I'm quote unquote a professional. Yeah, I think that that is such a good point to make that. And it's interesting that there's, you know, people think, oh, I just have to do this and repeat it and repeat it. There's that element, the element of thinking like, oh, I don't have this time to mm-hmm. accomplish this thing, to get that level of mastery. But the reality of when you start to actually think about things, the, the way I teach my clients, um, what you realize is that the the repetition and the practice is, is essential. It's critical. And it, it definitely always leads to refinement, um, but it doesn't necessarily have to take tons of time. Like I went from not skiing to being a pro skier in five years. And it's not because yeah. I'm an exceptional athlete. It's because I knew how to focus and do the thing I needed to do. I had the body awareness to be able to apply it. And like you were saying, I also have a really clear understanding of the fact that the mistake is actually not a problem because I know where I want to go. And this is a little bit of a function of how I train my, not train, but how I kind of want my clients to think about their lives in general is that if you know what the outcome is, 
then success isn't reaching that goal. Success is actually moving towards the goal that's the right goal for you. So every time you actually figure out, oh, this piece isn't working, you know, why am I not feeling secure about riding up to a fence and being able to do what you did, break it down, think about the basics of it. Like, what do I need to do? What level, where am I comfortable? And where do I push that in a logical progression? Doing it that way and executing it well in the moment, it doesn't take weeks of training your horse to do something. It literally can be in one ride and then you practice, you, you perfect it and then you move on. It's like, it doesn't become this drilling, painful thing for your horse. It doesn't become this matter of like, oh my God, I don't have enough time because it, if you're strong enough, if your horse is strong enough, this is like a perfect conversation that people are having right now. People are talking right now about like, oh, are we overriding our horses? Are we overshowing? And I think that that some of that mentality comes from the belief that the only way to get good is to do more. But I'm a firm believer and I feel like my life is proof that it's not just a matter of more, more, more. It's about doing the right thing in the right timing and the right application that makes the difference. How much uh, do you think that this is kind of like on a similar tone, the like visualization of riding is important to the overall rider as they are working to develop feel? I think it's important, but I think it's also misused. So there's a lot of things that I talk to people about. It's, you know, there's so many people that have the information and they're doing the things, but it's how you're doing the things. So there's sometimes are very tiny micro shifts that they're making in terms of their energy, in terms of their the way they're doing something that makes a big difference. And visualization is one of those things where I think people don't actually understand what visualization is meant to do for them. It's kind of like people talk about manifesting things and they're like, oh, I'll do this thing. I'll think about it. And then then it should come, but that's not how it works. Um, Visualization is a really key piece in being able to work towards your goal to achieving the thing that you want to have. But I think for riders, what's more important is I feel like the visualization literally should be an actual visualization, like see yourself ride. What does your body look like? Is the body sense the way you feel you're moving in your body? Is it matching what you're seeing when you watch? Because there's often a very big disconnect. And so then you can start to work to kind of move the picture in the direction you want so that when you're writing, you're holding the image of like, okay, what are the things I need to be doing to create that picture in my body? But I think when people start to visualize and think like, okay, I, I need to visualize this course, they're not applying it in the right place. You might want to visualize it so you know, like, oh, I can remember where to go, but that's where it stops. Once you go into ride, you have to shift your focus to the right thing. And visualization mm-hmm. is now gone. That's off the table. That's right. not going to help you at that point. Um, so I think people don't appreciate what it's actually meant to do, where you're supposed to apply it. And so they're like, oh, it doesn't work. But the problem wasn't that the visualization didn't isn't valid. It works when you use it correctly. It's that when they go into ride, they don't ride. <laughs> really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's like like people think that, well, when I manifest and dream that I want to have, you know, this, this much money, well, that part is just one piece of it. Now, what are you going to do? (laughs) What action are you actually going to take to start to bring that into fruition? The visualization part is to like ignite the energy, to create the picture, to be like, yes, that's the thing. Now I'm going to go and get on my horse and fix that thing that I know Mm -hmm. that's kind of wonky when I post or whatever it is. That is such a good point. And it's like, it's silly to even say, because it's like, obviously, but so much, so many of us do that where it's like, oh, I'm just going to like speak it into existence. And it's like, great. 
but then you just like going and sitting and watching TV like that, like nothing's going to happen unless you actually go do the thing. Well, that, and also realizing that we are actually very adept at doing it. Mm. And so going back to the original part of like getting rid of the limiting beliefs, the flip side of manifesting actually is a real thing. So everything that you say you can't do that isn't for you, that you like, I can't ride like a professional, like, oh my God, you know, I'll never ride that well, or I'll never be able to do that level. Well, you're basically just asking that to come into your reality. Oh yeah. It's, it all works. The laws of the, all of the energetics work for you or against you. But you, if you understand how you're using it and where you're actually like, oops, uh, that's actually not what I want to be thinking. Let me bring that back. Then you can start to actually become the active director of your life instead of a a passive passenger. (laughs) What if you had to like guess the percentage of people that have limiting beliefs would you, would it be like a hundred percent? I would guess yes. <laughs> right. I mean, like, I don't, I don't want to say with certainty, but I would, I would say a lot, like s- almost everyone that yes. I, and I, and, and don't even, maybe don't even realize it. Maybe I'm sure recent, more yeah, recently, no. the more that, that like we, like, when we've worked together, like, I feel like I've been able to pick up on or like kind of catch myself when I am like thinking something or saying something. But um, yeah, man, I feel like a lot of times you don't even realize it. And it's like, it, it kind of takes uh, someone else sometimes to be like, well, that's not actually true. That's something you've kind right. of like placed on yourself. Totally. And it's, it's, it's kind of a hard pill to swallow, but once you swallow it and realize like, wait a minute, then if I want to create something I can, yes. <laughs> I think that that's one of the things that was, yeah, exactly. At the workshop when I was, you know, we did the awesome work with Leah and came up with the kind of statement. I realized that one of the things that I love about what I do is I see the potential in everyone because those limiting beliefs to me, I know that's not the truth. So if somebody can get beyond that, then they can do whatever they want. It's, And the reason I say to your answer that I feel like a hundred percent people have those limiting beliefs is because we're human. We're actually kind of hardwired to work that way. So Mm -hmm. you have to actively have an awareness of it and recognize that, yeah, you're going to screw up at times. And it's kind of a game. And the game is to catch yourself as quickly as you can get yourself going in the direction that you want and move on. (laughs) Yeah, that's so true. And like, it's, it's, funny because I have found since kind of understanding myself more through the work that we've done together. And I I've noticed that my life seems like, like, I just feel, I feel like I get less stressed over circumstances or situations because I think I've been able to put my life into perspective in a way that things that used to make me have such a major freak out, um, just aren't, it isn't, it it doesn't like frap me out as much. It does. It doesn't make me be like the world is ending or, you know, my day is ruined. It's just like, and that's such a nice, so much, so much of a more freeing way to live life. And also so much more of a productive way to live. Totally. Yeah. And that's, it's, you know, that's what I love about doing this work. That's what I mean when I say that you'll go, you'll get to a point where you're like, why was I freaking out about not seeing a distance? Mm -hmm. Like I'll just try it again. Yeah. Um, But it's because when you start to do this work, like I said, the horses are here. I truly believe to help us with this because like I've said this to you before, no horse really needs any human on their back. Mm -hmm. They are doing this for us. They don't really want us to ride them. They don't need to actually let us do these things, but they allow it. They allow us to participate. 
And I think that they honestly, like, I, it would be really funny to hear a conversation with a bunch of horses talking about <laughs> us because they're probably like, oh, my human needs this right now. Like you've seen cartoons like that, but I think it's really kind of spot on because this work is asking us to grow as individuals. You grow as an individual, your perspective broadens. That is so huge. Being able to put those problems in perspective. It's like the things that were huge problems when you become, I can't remember his name, Harv Eckler, I think is maybe his name. I'll have to tell you, Um, but he has a perfect way of framing this. It's like, if you have this problem and it's, let's say like a level five problem and you're a level two person, that's a big problem. But if you do things to grow so that you become a level 10 person, the level five problem is actually not even a problem. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I just like always remember, like, I feel like before I would have different, you know, some, someone said thing to me, or I got an email or my boss said that, you know, just things like that, that I would let completely affect my entire day and my mood and my, how I was treating my husband and my friends and my family. And it would just let that totally affect who I am as a human. (laughs) And so it's just, it's just so crazy how just, you know, sometimes, you know, talking through things like that and finding the root of, you know, why was I so nervous that I was going to chip a jump in front of people? Like, and, and like what you, what, I mean, and what this is all about is just kind of going to that core and, it really makes everything once you once you really kind of pinpoint and find the root of that i feel like it makes everything less scary totally because a lot of it comes the the programming that comes in is almost always something that we make a decision about that this is the truth when we're younger <laughs> Mm-hmm. And there's so much about us that's perfect and like the best version of us when we're younger that that we need to tap into parts of that. But there's also a huge amount of fear when you're little like all kinds of stuff like being scared of the dark, like loud noises, all of those things that when you're little that have that level of intensity to freak you out. If you misattribute something with that level of intensity, and you don't go back to address it, it comes up like you're saying. So that the thing that has a, even a shade of touching that your body is like, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you chip in front of people, that's really, really bad. Yeah. When the reality of the situation is no, it's not actually that bad, but your brain can convince you that it is. And it will literally mm-hmm. derail your ability to use your body. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Oh, that's so true. I love it. Well, Sam, thank you so much for taking the time and kind of continuing our conversation as all of us equestrians are always working and growing and changing and trying to live this life kind of like how our horses live with that honesty and um, sincerity. I love how you were talking about how like horses don't need us, but they just, they allow us to be a part of this partnership and they let us ride them. And it like always makes me emotional to think about just, I have so much gratitude towards horses and what they let us do and how we, both of us have, you know, been able to create our entire lifestyle around this love and passion for horses. And so I'm just so grateful for you and everything we get to do together. And I thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. I, I agree 100% with everything you said. It's just for me, I know we both share such a deep sense of appreciation for having this life, Mm -hmm. having horses um, and recognizing that when you, 
when you're able to help each other, like, I think that's one, one reason that our partnership has been such a nice one and really powerful one is that we came into it with the understanding that it was like, let me help this other person. And I think that we share that, that belief that when we, we can create a community within the riding world that fosters that mm-hmm. energy, that kind of, let me help, let me serve when you start to do this healing work that it allows you to step into that space and realize that, wait a minute, I really can do this. I can help other people and I'm not taking anything away. We're actually creating a better community for everyone. And to me, that's a pretty exciting prospect because it's, it only gets stronger the more we kind of share this work and share this message and allow people to really get the, get the importance and reconnect to like, why did you fall in love with horses in the first place and start to allow yourself to go there? I think for me, I have so much appreciation for you helping me kind of share that message with people because um, I think there's so many people that can benefit from that. Definitely. Speaking of where, if people want to learn more information about you and what you do and the services that you provide, where can they go? Um, they can follow Dr. Sam Fielding on Instagram. That's where I, most of my content is, mm-hmm. um, there's lots of content on there. If people want to hear about what I do, learn more. Um, but if you're interested, I also have my website, which is also drsamfielding.com. Um, yeah. And there's more information there with how to connect with me. If you're interested in getting on a call to, to talk to me, to find out you know, can, can you help me? Is this something that you can Mm -hmm. help me figure out? Then there's, it's all on the website. Amazing. Well, Sam, as always, I wish you all the best. Thank you. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.